He is risen. He is risen we have considered the promise of the resurrection. We have also considered the power of the resurrection. And now, uh, with the next two verses, I would like us to consider the proof of the resurrection. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 38 and 39. Here we find Jesus um, talking to his disciples after his resurrection, and he's in front of them, of course, and yet he shows them, as we'll see, proof of his risen body. It's, he's not a ghost, he's not just an image, but he is indeed the risen Christ. Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. See, Jesus here shows to his disciples evidence of his resurrection. And we are called to do the same to our faith. We believe that Jesus is risen. And in 1 Peter 3.15, we read, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being, able, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And our hope is the resurrection of our Lord. And as we saw this morning, also our own resurrection following him in his resurrection. But what is the reason? What is the evidence that we have to believe in this wonderful historical fact that we believe, which is the bodily resurrection of our Savior? Well, there are three main historical evidences that I would like to look at today. The first one is the empty tomb. The second one is the testimony of the eyewitnesses who were alive in the first century. And then thirdly and lastly, I would like us to look at the ongoing existence of the Christian church after the death of Jesus. But before we get to the evidence, uh, I'm splitting uh, this talk into, into sections. The first part, I want us to look at the context of the resurrection. What, what is the context? What is the worldview behind what we look in, the, in this historical event? Um, and then, secondly, I would like us to then analyze those three evidences. So let's first look at the context. The probability of an event, an historical event, depends on the broader context that surrounds that event. So let me give you a, a, a very simple example of what I, what I mean by this. On a given day, Pastor Fisher tells me that he is going to attract me. And you come to me and you ask me, what is the probability you think, of Pastor Fisher uh, seeing someone break a four-minute mile in this track meet. And at first you may think, oh, the chances are very low. You know, that's a pretty hard time to make. But there's not really a way to answer this question without first considering the larger context of this issue. If this track meet that Pastor Fisher is going to is a track meet at Heritage, I started to crush your dreams for the ones here, the, the middle schoolers who are present here today. But no, probably not. Pastor Fisher is not going to see anyone break the four-minute mile. But if Pastor Fisher is going up to Seattle with Bonnie, and they're going to watch the Olympic trials, then the odds would not be low at all. Actually, given the context, it's quite likely that Pastor Fisher would see a professional athlete break the four-minute mile. 
The same idea of context has to be considered when dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If a person believed that God did not exist, or at least did not intervene in this world, then this person will view the probability of the resurrection to be very, very low. And that person would be right. In a godless universe, we would have to assume that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead naturally. And the odds of that would be astronomically small, especially after three days. But what if the broader context included the existence of the Christian God? A God who has intervened and continues to intervene in the world. Then a miracle would not be that unlikely anymore. Matter of fact, I would adventure to say that to a Christian who believes in God, miracles are not only possible but even expected. I pray for miracles all the time, and I expect them to happen, the greatest of them being the salvation of lost sinners. So here's the big point I'm trying to make. Uh, The probability of a miraculous event is dependent on a person's worldview and the assumptions that person makes about reality. In, in, In order for someone to claim that the resurrection is impossible, first this person has to show that the God of the Bible does not exist, And this person cannot do that. And if you cannot do that, you cannot say that the resurrection is impossible. Speaking on this issue, Pastor Young and I uh, didn't plan, but I want to quote from the centenary book that we'll be studying this week, actually, here at at our church, um, Thursday and Friday, in our Tabor Lecture Series, uh, Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. And here's what he says in this issue. He says, a miracle is wrought by the immediate power of God. It is not wrought by an arbitrary and fantastic despot, but by the very God of whom the regularity of nature itself is due, by the God, moreover, whose character is known through the Bible. See, what Mason is saying here is absolutely precious. He's saying, look around. Look at reality. What can explain the orderly world, as he puts here, the regularity of nature that you see in your everyday life? What is the best worldview to explain the order that you see today in your life? And it is the Christian worldview. It's the God of the Bible, a God of the order. It's not just an accident, but the beauty, the design, the intelligence that you see is best explained by the Christian God. If that's the case, the best worldview to explain what you see today is the same explanation of a God who obviously would raise his son from the dead. It's not only possible or probable, but it makes a lot of sense that Christ would be risen from the dead. Beyond this, beyond the worldview of believing in a Christian God, there are other things that we have to look in this context. Um, we have to include the information we have about the identity of Jesus and why God would be particularly interested in raising him from the dead. We're not talking about a random person. Christians don't believe that random people raise from the dead all of the time, but we believe that Christ rose from the dead. No one, whether today or in the first century, would believe in a random claim of the resurrection without major motive and proof to believe such. Was there anything unique about Jesus that might make us think a resurrection would be more likely in his case? Absolutely. 
We already know that God was at work in the life of Jesus. He was known as the great miracle worker. He was known to cast out demons, to heal diseases, to calm storms, and even to raise people from the dead himself. If there was ever a person in whom we might expect God to do miraculous things, it would be the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Moreover, we know that Jesus claimed to be more than a mere man. He claimed to be the incarnate Son of God, commissioned by his Heavenly Father to be the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. He claimed to be the incarnate Son of God, and the Old Testament prophecies give us many information about him. The um, information that were fulfilled in the very life of Jesus. Uh, he was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in the line in the city of David, and so on. Most importantly, some of these Old Testament prophecies even predicted the Messiah were going to would rise from the dead. On top of all this, Jesus himself, during his earthly life, predicted his own future resurrection from the dead. And if you think about this, this is an extremely, extremist, uh, extremely serious claim to be made. To predict your own resurrection and not rise again would completely ruin your reputation as a prophet, your credibility as a prophet. But if you did rise it would vindicate that everything that you ever said and ever did was true. As we know, even the Jewish authorities were concerned about these predictions that Jesus made during his life, and they asked the Roman government to, to make sure that the tomb was well guarded and to prevent any attempts to, of, of the disciples to steal his body and fake a resurrection. So as we consider all this, what does what this, this broader context tells us, shows us. It shows us that perhaps Jesus' resurrection is not as unexpected as one would thought, think. Uh, considering the context, the resurrection actually makes a lot of sense. But now let's look in the second section. Uh, let's put the context aside in this idea of worldview and look at the three main elements of the resurrection, the three main evidences. The empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the ongoing existence of the Christian movement. Let's start with the first two. And Paul provides these first two elements to us in 1 Corinthians 15. I'd like to read that for us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 6. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. According to Paul, at the core of the resurrection, if we think of evidences, we think of two things. We think of the empty tomb, as he says, he was buried, he was raised, according to the scriptures. And he's looking also at the testimony of eyewitnesses. Uh, he appeared to Cephas, then to more than 500 brothers. What you see here is the strength of the combination. That's what I would like you to see. The strength of the combination of these two claims together. Obviously, on one hand, if the tomb of Jesus had contained his body, then any early Christian claim that Jesus had been raised would have been quickly refuted because he, his body would have been found on a tomb. On the other hand, the experience of the eyewitness proved 
why the body was missing. It was not because someone stole the body, but because he was indeed risen from the dead. People had seen him. He was walking. He was with other men. And in that sense, now we have the full picture. But there's more. There's one last aspect to uh, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Behind, uh, beyond the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances, there is this last element, which is often overlooked even by Christians. The early rise of the bold Christian movement in the first century. Why didn't the Christian movement among Jews just end after their leader was killed? At first, all the disciples were completely discouraged and afraid after the death of Jesus, hiding in the upper room. It seems like things were not quite the way they expected, and it wasn't the way they expected. But what changed their minds? If you study the intertestamental period, those years leading to Jesus' ministry, um, there, there are many historical records of, of messianic movements, and all those predate Jesus. Uh, groups that claim to have found the true Messiah, and all those movements ended the same way, many of them. Uh, their Messiah was eventually executed by the Roman government, and that was the end of that movement. At that point, all that they could do is start the search for a new Messiah. So why didn't that happen to Christianity? Its Messiah was also killed by the Romans, like all those other movements, but for some reason, the Christian movement continued. Matter of fact, it not only continued, but it grew and prospered, and it took all over the whole world. What can explain that? Well, the only explanation is that Christians became absolutely convinced, as we are today, that Jesus was not dead, but alive. The existence of the early church is one of the best pieces of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Had Jesus' body remained dead and found in the tomb, there wouldn't be such thing as Christianity today. So as we look at the proof of Christ's resurrection, this is what we conclude, that God has given us very good reasons to believe, solid historical evidence that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. Brothers and sisters, Remember, one last detail as we think of all these things. Jesus' resurrected body could pass through doors. He didn't need the help of angels rolling the large stone from the tomb. God didn't send an angel so that Jesus could escape from the tomb. God sent the angels so that you could look at the empty tomb and say, with all the conviction of your heart, soul, and mind, he paid for my sins, and now he is risen.